ready to wake up, you're going to wake up. And if you're not ready, you're going to stay pretending that you're just a little, poor little me. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke, it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power. The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. Everybody is I. You all know you are you. And wheresoever beings exist throughout all galaxies, it doesn't make any difference. You are all of them. And when they come into being, that's you coming into being. Hey, what is up everyone? This week on the Ascend podcast, we met up with Jeremy Howick from the University of Oxford. He's a philosopher of science and his main inquiry is the interest of self-healing and the placebo effect. And he's just launched a new book called Dr. You, which dives into all the things that we talk about on this podcast. And in this conversation, we really get into the nitty gritty of self-healing and the placebo effect. And I've really wanted to bring this conversation to all of you for a very long time now as the understanding that the placebo, the topic of the placebo effect brings to your mind has played a massive, has been a massive thing in my mind and really created the foundation to my understanding about how we operate on this planet as human beings and how our bodies operate and what we are really capable of. We've all heard about the, the benefits of the placebo effect and most of Western medicine and science considers it an interesting phenomenon, but however, on the other side, they also consider it a nuisance because it has to be accounted for in all the clinical uh, clinical trials and, it, and on many occasions, it can actually confound data. But in this podcast, we really take a look at this interesting phenomenon and ask the question, what is really going on? And you may not know this, but the placebo effect is actually the only thing that has been proven to treat every known condition on the planet. So this is a great podcast and we really dig into some of the counterexamples in the clinical trials where the power of belief has actually changed the lives of many people. Jeremy also talks about in this conversation, it gives an example of an eight-year-old subjects who convinced themselves they were 60 again and they reversed chronic conditions like arthritis and many other things which is really fascinating and really cool and i really do feel that the key to harnessing the placebo effect is to anchor a belief in a specific reality with a heightened state of emotion then the emotional component will then make it real to the body but we anyway we get into this much further in the podcast and how you can all do this and the power of it and the phenomenon is virtually limitless, has limitless potential in my opinion. But not only just for the, for for the for your body and mind, for your life in general, for your life in general as well, and how you can change your life for the better. I know I know for sure that this podcast is really going to add so much to your lives, so much to your so much to your own minds, and really give you a solid understanding of how powerful we really all are. And I just wanted to mention as well that. Unfortunately, Chris has decided to take a step back from the podcast. We all, Me and Chris are going to get together and do an Observe Now Thoughts in the next podcast that's coming up where all will be explained and we'll dive into that and explain what is the future of the podcast and how, where we're going to go from here. So look out for that anyway where we're going to sit down and we're going to really get across to you what is going on. Coming up on this podcast as well, as I've been doing some more in-person podcasts by myself, I've just done an amazing podcast with 
David Icke. Also as well, very close to doing a podcast with Graham Hancock in the summer. So I'm really excited about that. He's really been one of my number one guests I've wanted to get on this podcast. Also have many other amazing guests coming up. Robert Wagner is coming back on the podcast as well next month. So that'll be out very soon. And we'll dive into the world of dreams with him. So there's many very amazing things coming up on the podcast. And I just wanted to say as well, I'm very grateful for you all tuning in every single week to listen to this podcast. It really means a lot to me that you tune in every week to listen to these conversations. This podcast to me is like a flow of energy that for a temporary moment in space and time, it sort of flows through you. And I really do know that time is so important. And I thank you so much for giving me your time, giving this podcast your time. And just allow the energy of this podcast and whatever I am creating with this to merge with yours for a a few hours or an hour while you listen to this thing. So anyway, I really appreciate you all and it really means a lot. So anyway, enjoy this episode with Jeremy Hollick. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It really means a lot. And uh, the topic of self-healing in the placebo effect is it's a really powerful topic and it's something that's been right at the front of my my own life and it's given me the foundation to a lot of my understanding about health and things like that. And But when people talk about the placebo effect and talk about the aspects of self-healing, a lot of people think that this is just sort of hippy-dippy stuff and people don't really sort of... <laughs> people hear it, but they don't really sort of embody the information. But the thing is about the placebo effect, what which I know and which all we know is that this is not just hippy-dippy, it's actually demonstrable as well. I mean, could you go into a bit of that, how it's demonstrable? Yes, well, the history of the placebo effect is um, a guy called Henry Knowles Beecher in World War II. Legend has it he ran out of morphine and gave soldiers with serious wounds saline injections, saltwater injections, and they got better. That legend has not been confirmed. What he does say is that different soldiers with the same wounds would react in different ways. So um, some would scream in pain and some wouldn't. This led him to do a big study, the first one of the first systematic reviews, where he claimed that um, a third of people who took placebos got better. Of course, he made the mistake. The geek word for his mistake is the post hoc ergo proctor hoc fallacy. In plain English, that means how do you know that someone who got better because they took a placebo got better because of the placebo pill or injection or naturally their body just self-healed. Um, so later on, some skeptics came along and said, well, we're going to compare what happens to people who took a placebo to those who didn't take anything at all. And they claimed that the placebo had almost no effect at all. Um, the truth, however, is somewhere in the middle. So my studies have shown that it's not true that placebos work amazingly well for everything or even one third for everything. But it's also not true that they're barely effective at all. They're quite effective for many common things for which people now visit their doctors for, their GPs, their family doctors for. Pain, depression, anxiety. I mean, everyone suffers from pain at some point in their lives. Um, And they have a modest benefit on average. But for a large number of people, between a third and half of people who take placebos, it has a clinically relevant benefit, so something real. And I think it's really important to study this because the alternative to inducing placebo effects 
and I hope you ask me how to induce placebo effects without the pill, is things like over-the-counter drugs, which barely work for most back pain, chronic pain, cancer pain, and so on. Yeah, I think it's mm. really powerful because just to touch, like you touched on the placebo effect, is that, like you said there, you're in a point of view in your mind where, yes, it does work in some cases, it doesn't work in other cases, but what I think is powerful about it, like some of the things that you were seeing, some of the symptoms that it can, it can work for, because as a society, we've been led to believe that the power is actually out of our hands. And with this information, it actually makes people realize that, no, the power is back in your hands. Mm. Yes, well, yeah. Oh, no, sorry, I was just agreeing with them. I think that's a good point, actually. Well, I know about placebo effects. I mean, certainly the problem of too much medicine. People believe that something's wrong, and the first thing they should do is reach for a pill. And that's becoming widely recognized as harmful. The problem of too much medicine, I mean, medicine, oh, medical errors are a leading cause of death. Um, prescription painkillers kill more people than heroin and cocaine combined in the U.S. The U.S. military has even contacted me to ask me about these kind of effects because they're worried that we're spending so much money on health care, it's going to eventually eat into the military budget. So yes, the placebo pill, however, could add to the problem that people taking placebo pills they might be just uh, doing the same, making the same mistake, reaching for a pill. The good thing is you don't need a pill to have placebo effects. If you're a doctor, you can be more empathic, enhance the way you express empathy, give a realistic and honest but positive message. Yeah. And you can do those things to yourself as well. Yeah, I was going to say uh, as well. I, I mean, I'm more the person who does lean towards sort of like um, things being like a conspiracy in certain things. But I do think that the, with the placebo effect, it's... It's not necessarily the doctor's fault, I don't feel. I feel like they just, they're just following sort of clinical research that has come from certain companies that do have their own preconceived biases, how they want certain things to come. Do you feel that it's, it's actually, do you feel it's not the doctor's fault and it's just that they're just following the protocol? Yeah, I think that we also don't need to go to conspiracy theories because the truth is, the truth is just as, as crazy enough as it is. If you look at how much money is spent on healthcare. Yeah how much over-prescribing there is of many drugs with the, we shouldn't be over-prescribing. Over for example, in the UK, there's no evidence that GPs should be prescribing opioids. It's not their fault. They have an average of less than 10 minutes per patient. Um, patients are complaining, demanding these things. However, um, that's not a conspiracy theory. This is facts. It's nobody's fault. It's not the doctor's fault. They're being burdened with paperwork. Studies show that between a third and half of the doctor's time is spent filling out forms. That's not a wise use of their time. So it's nobody's fault. However, and you're right that we, we, we've undervalued these things. Like, you know what, sometimes people come into the room, into the GP surgery, into the family doctor surgery, they don't need a pill. They might even say they're looking for a pill, but what they really need is a, just some, some conversation, some empathic conversation to help them understand that their back pain, their mild depression, their mild pain is likely to go away, which in most cases it is. Yeah. Jeremy, I was just wondering yourself, um, why do you think people devalue their own understanding of their own body? Why do you think they, they so much disconnect to it? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that, but what I can say is that people's bodies, your body, you guys have amazing bodies. And I say that in a scientific way. <laughs> we did a, have our shirts off just before <laughs> entering, by the way, everyone. <laughs> My wife's in the other room, so you know, just, I mean, you know, your bones are stronger than steel, pound for pound. Your stomach acid can melt zinc. If it took your blood vessels that lay them end to end, it could wrap around the earth two and a half times. The vessels of your lymphatic system, 
if I wrap them end to end, it could wrap around the earth five times. I mean, your, your skin is probably a month old. Your liver is probably a year old. So we all have amazing bodies. I mean, the, the number of connections in the brain is unfathomable. We have, you know, trillions of cells in our bodies. Each single one of those cells has enough information in it to recreate a whole body in principle has been shown by cloning. That's, and you have trillions of them. The number, even one trillion, you can't imagine. If I told you 20 pounds, you know what it is. If I said 100 pounds, if I told you a million pounds worth of 20 pound notes, how big a pile is that? You don't know yet. Uh, not yet, but so it's hard to imagine what a billion pounds, but people don't know what a trillion is. It's, it's an unfathomable number. So the intelligence in our own body is amazing. And whether we like it or not, whether we use placebos or not, whether we use medicine or not, our body does heal itself from most of the things that most people get, which doesn't mean that we shouldn't use medicine. On the contrary, medicine should be used where it's needed. Yeah. Mm. But because we people don't you don't need it, are taking up the resources. Sadly, many we hear stories about people who have cancer who wait too long for their scans and so on because the system's being put under pressure by people who don't understand that they don't need yeah. medicine. What What do you think's actually healed our body? To, um, sorry, st- sort of obscured our body from healing itself. Do you think it's? Do you think it's? Is it modern medicine that's done that? I know you said before modern medicine's good, but is it? You're trying to get me into the conspiracy yeah. theory thing. I'll, I'm just going to stick to the facts, which I yeah. think are, are you don't need. We don't need to go into conspiracy theories. So the first thing I want to say one more thing about how amazing your it's body is. It's just an is. important thing because what I think to speak on it again, and what I think it's important is that because. Like I said earlier, people give the power away to something else. And if people yes. don't know the mechanism to why they give the power away, they will can't understand how to change it. Absolutely. Yeah. So to, to help them understand how amazing their bodies are, you have a cool kind of cell in the body, in the immune system called the natural killer cell. When I first heard that word, I thought it was a kind of joke name, but yeah. that's the scientific <laughs> name. It's a natural killer cell. It goes after things that are bad for you, bad viruses, bad bacteria, and like eats them basically. It destroys them, kills them. That's why it's called natural killer cells. Sounds like a Quentin Tarantino film title. <laughs> um, so why do people believe they're taking the power away from them? I think that, yes, we modern medicine is amazing. It's done things for us. I mean, we're living longer. We don't get killed by infections. We have painkillers for when... The old days, they used to do amputations with no painkillers. You know, you give them a piece of wood to chew on instead of screaming and, and, a, and maybe a slug of whiskey. <laughs> Uh, and that, that's it. <laughs> and they, used to, and they, they, this happened. So, we've modern medicine has had so many wonderful things. Heart transplants, you know. I mean, thank God that sudden infant death syndrome has almost disappeared in developed countries. These are all things we should be grateful for. But just like even the best medicine has some side effects, a side effect of the success of modern medicine is that we've forgotten. Well, it's so amazing. We've forgotten. Well, hey, you know what? Our body's pretty amazing too. If you get a cut. It heals itself like a surgeon would. Your body has its own dopamine, endorphins. So yes, I think that the fact that, that modern medicine is so successful has contributed to, I don't have any evidence for this, but has contributed to our belief that we need modern medicine, which is a paradox. Yeah, definitely. Something I wanted you to speak to as well and love to see your thoughts on is because a big thing that I've had all through my life and I've it's always been in the back of my conscious mind and I know people also have the same expression of this thought in the head where somebody will, some family member in the past will have some sort of disease and they'll say that this is hereditary this this gene is you're beholden to your genes could you speak to that i mean because i know there's a lot of to for my understanding that's there's a lot of myth around that 
There is. I mean, genes play an important role, right? There's no denying that. But how important? The Human Genome Project, they spent billions and billions, and it's been largely a failure because, you know, the nematode, tiny little worms have more genes than us and or, or almost as many as us. And then Angelina Jolie came out saying, well, I have this BRCA1 gene, so I'm going to get a, which leads me to, I think her doctors told her an over 80% chance of getting breast cancer, therefore I'm going to get a mastectomy. Now, I'm not saying anything about Angelina Jolie. It's a tough thing, and her family history alone was enough to make her worried. My mother died of breast cancer, so I can appreciate that. However, her doctor's figure over 80% was mistaken. It's closer to 50%, which is still high, but it's not 80%. A colleague of mine in California, Alia Crum, did a study recently where they took two groups of a group of people, told some of them, you have a exercise gene of some sort where you can do exercise for a long time because you're your genes. And otherwise, they said, no, you don't have this gene. Then they put them on a treadmill and asked them when they got tired. The people who were told they had an exercise gene were able to go further before they said they felt tired. In fact, it was just a kind of a, a fake test. The same thing, they did the same thing with a kind of fat gene. They told some people, well, you have a gene that makes you fat. Other ones, they said, you don't have this gene that makes you fat. You're going to be slim. Then they asked them how full they felt after eating. Those who were told they had a fat gene felt less full. So the genetic testing, it can be important, but like many things, it can be overdone. And we forget the other aspects, like in this case, what I call the nocebo effect. In a, in a way, the genetic test is a nocebo, a negative placebo effect, giving them a negative message. You, don't, you can't do exercise or you're going to gain weight in this case. Yeah. Mm. So something I want to touch on with you is I would love you to sort of dive into and describe, just to break down what the placebo effect is and why is it important? Yeah, I think it's very important because, like I said, for many things that many people go to their doctor for, mild to moderate pain, mild to moderate depression, mild to moderate anxiety, the, pl the placebo effect is powerful and it should be used. Some say it's unethical to use it and I think it's wrong. I think it's the other way around. I think it's unethical to not use it. We can talk about that in a minute if you, if you like. So that's why it's important. And even for things that placebos can't cure. So it, it, it would be crazy to say that someone who walks into their oncologist and has stage four metastatic cancer should be given a placebo pill or the, the doctor should focus on empathic communication. They should focus on the best treatments available. However, for a lot of these people, their prognosis is bad. In addition to the treatments, you know, they don't have much time left anyways. We have to focus on their quality of life. And this involves connecting with the person empathic communication where we find out what means something to them what what aspects of their, of their life should we focus on helping them achieve what can't we and of course communicating this bad news in an empathic and an understanding way and i take all these things to, to be part of the placebo effect broadly construed mm -hmm. could you could you explain some maybe go into some examples just to give some people a back knowledge of people who have sort of healed themselves even using the method of just the placebo effect so I'll give an example from my experience. Yeah, I used to do a sport called rowing, and at some point it developed allergies to a cat my mother had. And um, I went to the doctor, they poked me about 30 times, and they said, okay, you have a cat allergy, which, which I already knew. Then they prescribed a, a, a nasal spray. And at the time, you know, I was winning some medals, I was on the national team, so I knew I might get tested. So 
Whenever you take any medication, you check the ingredients very carefully. In this case, it said corticosteroid as part of the nasal spray. The word steroid said I, made me say, I can't take this. It turns out it wouldn't have led to a positive test. It's not a banned substance, but I didn't know. And while I was finding out, I was suffering. I couldn't sleep. I was getting anxious. My training was suffering. So at the request of my mother, I went to visit a Chinese herbal doctor. I said, that's not going to work. It's going to be nonsense. But I, I wanted to win races. I had nothing to lose. I went to visit her. thought there'd be you know, crystals and so on on the wall. Nothing of the sort. Just cleaner and uh, more pleasant than most doctor's surgeries. I went there. We sat down and talked for about 45 minutes about the pressures of high-level rowing and the stress. And then she prescribed me, um, she prescribed to keep my head and neck warm, which is just common sense in Canada in the winter, and ginger tea. So I said, well, it can't possibly work, but ginger tea is not poison or else, you know, swathes of people in Asia would be dead because they drink, put ginger in their tea and their chai and so on. I said, I'll try it. I tried it and it, my allergies went away. I still don't know if it was the ginger tea or a placebo effect, but that's an example where certainly her putting me at ease. I mean, um, allergies are an autoimmune response and stress can kind of exacerbate these autoimmune diseases. Yeah. So, go, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, um, how much of it do you think is your own self-control, whether or not, or is it just a more of an external factor? See if I was to propose to you, I was more of a, um, I was a doctor of medicine, and I yeah. would say this medicine will cure you from any ailment, and it's scientifically proven, uh, underground studies, It's and I told you <laughs> to take that. How much of that is going to impact you more so than your own head? Is with basically saying, are you is your body creating it or is your mind creating it really? So the body and mind can't be separated. That's one confusion about placebo effect. People say, well, it's the power of the mind over the body. You can't separate the mind and the, and the body. You can't. No one can name you one thing that's just in your mind. Any thought you have, they can measure it by doing a scan, a brain scan. Um, and then thoughts associated with health, the main ones are, you know, thoughts which will uh, set off the stress response or thoughts which will induce the relaxation response. The stress response suppresses the immune system. If you're being chased by a wolf, it's against your evolutionary interest to evoke the full immune response because your body's immune response is so powerful that it can knock you out. When you feel tired when we're sick, it's not often not just the flu or the disease that gets us tired. It's our immune system using up all the resources. So when you want to fight a wolf that's chasing you, you should not evoke a full immune response. So under stress, this can hurt. And does it help for a trusted doctor? Yes, because our own self-talk, we can do it, look in front of the mirror and say, I'm great and I'm going to succeed and so on. But when someone you trust says, you know what, Chris, it's going to be better. Um, that, that can help. Uh, yes. And doctors have done this. There's a great study in the BMJ, British Medical Journal, in 1987, published by um, Bruce Thomas, called Is There a Point in Being Positive? He did just that. Half his patients, he said, this pill is probably going to help you get better. It's helped many other patients like you. Let's have a meeting in three weeks to make sure it's okay. Other patients, he was his usual grumpy self. Well, this pill might help you, might not, etc. And twice as many patients reported getting better in the positive group. And I've done a recent systematic review, so I've quantified this. This is kind of airy-fairy hippie stuff, you called it yeah. before, Dan. Yeah. Um, 
I've taken this nebulous airy-fairy stuff and quantified it in the same way we quantify the effects of drugs. And it's hard to deny every study has problems and, and certain biases, nothing's perfect, but it's a quite a good study and we can't deny now that it can have positive effects on many things and costs nothing. Yeah. I mean, you were talking about some things that, it, that the placebo effect is cured. I mean, I heard a story once about how in one book that I was reading, it was talking about how a guy, just the, the same thing that you explained before about the positive the positive affirmations by a doctor, yeah. like a positive figure saying this will definitely cure you. There's a scenario I taught you about this once. Uh, I mean, you probably know this story a bit better than me, but it was even on a bigger level, it was cancer. Somebody had cancer tumors. Mm. And the, the doctor said, to the just like you said before, give him a positive affirmation and said that this, this this sugar pill will definitely, didn't say a sugar pill, but he said this pill will will uh, will de- decrease the size of your tumors and maybe in a couple of weeks your tumors will be completely gone so the guy did this did that experiment with him the guy eventually three weeks later the guy came back all these tumors had completely uh, disappeared but then what happened it was i think it was two years later down the line what happened was was um this story got broken out through the media and the media described how this doctor had actually used this technique of like the placebo effect and the guy read this newspaper article and the tumors actually came back yeah. So not only can you reverse it, you can also obviously, um, you can do the other sense as well. Yes. Hey, and create. I think that story is reported by a guy called Ward, but I forget. It's a, it's a patient. The doctor came in on Friday. The guy had wild tumors. He thought he wouldn't last the weekend, but the, the guy was insisting on, please, this is, I've read about this experimental treatment. Yeah. I think it's based on horse urine or something crazy like that. And the doctor said, you know, whatever, I'll give it to you. He gave it to him, thinking, uh, I'll come back on Monday, this guy's going to be dead. Came back on Monday, the tumors had shrunk. Um, and then a, a, few, a few months later, as you said, he uh, read about that it was just a, a nonsense therapy. And the doctor said, well, actually, that, that one was nonsense, but th- they've made a double-strength one now. And they repeated it a few times. So, yes, there are anecdotes like that. Um, there, there's numerous anecdotes of more powerful effects like that. My research is more on kind of conventional things where we do it in the context of randomized trials. Those, I mean, a skeptic will say, well, those anecdotes might have been a misdiagnosis and so on. What I will say, though, is that the nocebo effect, effect of negative beliefs, is probably stronger than the placebo effect. A study I published last year found that 50%, so half of people, who take placebos in clinical trials report having an adverse event. 5%, so 1 in 20, drop out because of what they say is a drug-related adverse event. Now, this could be because of an underlying condition. After all, they enter the trial because of an underlying condition. They might have a symptom, and then they might think the symptom is caused by the, the you know, intervention they're taking, in their case, the placebo. But we did some um, subgroup analyses and found that that's not the case for all of them. So sometimes it's the fact that they're told, you know, well, do you know that coffee you just drank, Chris? Did I tell you it creates a bit of nausea? <laughs> Wait, just yeah. think about your stomach right now. Do you feel any <laughs> sensations? So you get getting diarrhea soon. <laughs> <laughs> not again. <laughs> I know we're laughing at that, but so. Uh, oh, yeah. No. <laughs> um, in one of the studies, it was a study of aspirin versus something else for a, a certain ailment, and half the patients were told that the drug caused a gastrointestinal side effect. That led to a six-fold increase in the number of patients dropping out due to subjective reported gastrointestinal side effects. 
So in clinical trials now, it's very important. We must tell patients about every single negative side effect. If you go to the chemist, the pharmacy right now, take any medication, read the long list of potential side effects, you wouldn't touch it. In a clinical trial, they force you to tell the patients. Now, I think it's important to inform patients, but we must inform them in a way that doesn't cause the side effect. So we put in an application to the Medical Research Council to investigate this. And um, so, yeah, the, the, the negative placebo effect is very powerful. Yeah, definitely. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, is someone, um, is someone who's using that on the opposite scale, someone like Wim Hof, is he accessing some form of placebo, a positive placebo in his head when he's constantly reminding himself of what's happening to his body, when he's repeating the process and he's repeating the mantras of how his body's going to be healing, how he's accessing all these different elements in the brain and the body connection. Is he is he using the placebo or is he actually igniting something himself? I'm not sure if you're aware of who Wim Hof is or yeah, his yeah, potential yeah. of, sorry, what he can access. I'm just wondering, is he on the grand scale of what he is accessing through his own belief system? Yeah, that's like your previous question. Does it help if a trusted doctor gives it to you or can you do it to yourself? Mm. So one of the first trials of placebo knee surgery so these guys were had, had not responded to maximal drug therapy for knee pain for over six months. Then they enrolled in a trial where a guy called Bruce Molsey did knee surgery. But this guy, Bruce Molsey, is a confident guy. He walks in, hey, how you doing? I'm Bruce. He's the doctor of the Houston Rockets, which is a great basketball team. So everyone in the area would know him. Oh, that's the guy, my surgeon, the guy on TV. So when they walked into the surgery, they had high expectations. I'm going to be getting this guy as the famous doctor. He's a confident kind of charismatic man so just that kind of aura can make you have positive expectations and your positive expectations about recovery can affect how you recovered how fast you actually recover this has been shown again in the studies i've done and others have done um it doesn't make you kind of if you get your leg chopped off and you think you got another leg doesn't do that but it makes you let's say instead of taking three weeks before you can walk up the stairs it takes one and a half or two which is a big difference right um so then, is Wim Hof doing it to himself? Yes, you can give yourself a positive message too. It's more difficult. That's what I was thinking. It's more difficult for us to do it because we've got this, these um, people who've tried to measure how many thoughts we have. It's difficult to measure thoughts. It depends how you define a thought. But those who have done it find inevitably we have thousands of thoughts per day, many thousands, and most of them are negative, and we're often not aware of them. So that negative under underground, a kind of a... What we talk, our conscious mind is the tip of the iceberg. When we're giving ourselves a, a self-suggestion, it's it's the tip. It takes a while, and um, what he's doing, I think, is what we can all do is condition ourselves. He just doesn't just do the breathing or the self-talk. He does a certain breathing technique, puts certain music on, the guitar playing, and so on. It's a, it's a whole ritual. Creating energy, isn't he? Creating energy. So it's um, your body reacts to certain things whether you like it or not. So let's say you had, um, let's say I had a negative experience with a certain in a certain household somewhere, or a certain building or a certain room. Let's say I got bullied in high school in room two A. Now, even if I were, even now I'm a I'm a I'm a kind of reasonably successful guy. If I were to walk into that situation, I would feel a mini. I'd probably be able to laugh it off, but I might feel a mini stress response. The opposite's also true. You know, having a great time with Dan and Chris here. If I see you again, I'm going to get a smile on my face because um, so what Wim Hof and others do, um, 
is they create a situation where you walk in and right away you have an automatic response. That's, yeah, that's, that's, my, that's yeah, what I think I, he's I doing. I understand that. I completely understand yeah. that. And um, this, I wanted to, because I've got a question wrote down here that I'll go back to in regards to what you are just saying there about creating the environment. Yeah. But just before I go too far, I wanted to ask you on regards to what Chris was saying, just to try and ask the question in a different way, is um, obviously you're talking about the power of belief there. Do you, are you, do you think that's actually, so when someone is harnessing their own belief in their mind and they're focusing their attention to heal themselves, is that accessing some sort of inner pharmaceuticals? with inside of ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. So your body makes its own drugs. The word the word endorphin is a combination of two words, endogenous, which means your body makes it, and morphine. So take the two words, endogenous and morphine, squish them together, you get endorphin. Yeah. Now, endorphin is morphine your body makes. It's no different from the stuff that people shoot up and pay for on the street. It's actually slightly different at a molecular level but as far as the cell receptor is concerned it's identical other things happy chemicals dopamine i mean cocaine a friend of mine told me it's a it's a dopamine reuptake inhibitor it means that it doesn't the reason people feel high when they take cocaine is that it just leads to a greater amount of naturally occurring dopamine in your body um, so we have our own pharmacy we have our own surgeon your body recovers. I mean, you have new cells. You have 100 million new cells being made every minute. And so this, we have our own inner pharmacy, absolutely. Yeah. Which doesn't mean we never need external stuff, but we don't need it nearly as much as we think we need it. And to go back to the um, atmosphere, that's one reason why people are surprised that placebo pills can work even if you tell the patient, patient it's a placebo. Numer the first trial that did this was a, guy, uh, a team called Park and Covey in 1964. They had some um, very anxious, paranoid patients. They gave them placebos, sugar pills, told them they were sugar pills, and it still worked for many of them. Thing is, they were so anxious, they didn't believe them. Yeah. They thought he'd give them the real thing. But subsequently to that, there have been numerous randomized trials, and I've done a systematic review of these, and so-called open-label placebos work. Why? The patient doesn't believe it's a powerful medication, but the act of taking it, uh, probably, it might be some kind of conditioned response. There are probably numerous mechanisms, but there's a trusted doctor, etc., the, the context, the rit whatever ritual is involved in that. Yeah, so just to, so that question I wanted to touch on yeah. before when yeah. you were talking about creating the environment. So like you said before, if, if, your environment um, if your environment changes, we can sort of change gene expression sort of thing, right? Um, I didn't say gene expression, although oh, although, although oh, there is some evidence. Yeah, that's for right. that. so yeah. there is evidence for that, yeah. is there? So, the evidence about gene expression, Dean Ornish's studies, to change, you see, genes are either expressed or not, and whether they're expressed or not depends on environmental signals at a very high level. I'm not a gene geneticist; that's my understanding of it, and I'm quite sure that at that level it's sound. Now, Dean Ornish has done a study where. He did kind of deep behavior change. So it wasn't just, you know, hey, you're okay. But he took men who had a high risk of prostate cancer based on a, on a genetic test, gave them um, a vegetarian diet, exercise, meditation, took them away to a retreat where he surrounded them with things they had when they were in college. So made them feel young again. The same board games, the same music, same decorations and so on. So this kind of thing... I think that when we're talking about deep change, 
some people report it like the guy you mentioned before cancer just like this but to have that deep change i think most people require a kind of more comprehensive program like the kind of thing vim hof does I don't know if the vodka helps, but... <laughs> yeah, it definitely yeah. does. <laughs> just, just to reiterate on that point there, you make, yeah. before I go to this one as well, because it's so many points, honestly. It's yeah. some really good stuff. Um, just to reiterate and sort of try and pinpoint that for people who's listening. So you yeah. said through that study where them guys, the older guy, elderly guys got took away, that they, an environment, they create an environment that would... Exp- an environment of, them young, of their younger selves, and they created a gene expression that made them yeah. younger. Is that yeah. correct? That's correct. That's, yeah. what, that he, that's what he did. Yeah. Well, so when he, he he gave them a vegetarian diet, meditation, exercise, and then this intense retreat, and that led to a reduction in the genetic marker that led so that they whereas they came into the study with a higher risk of having prostate cancer according to a genetic test, they left the study having a lower risk, genetic risk. So so what I know you said you're not a genetic uh, can't say the word geneticist, but did what. Did you did you did that study say what sort of things on a biological level was happening? Was like telomeres and stuff like sort of shrinking and things like that? I'm not. I don't. I don't think they measured. Could telomeres. be fascinating to see that because obviously telomeres are a, yes. a big indicator of health, wasn't on there? Like yeah. the older you, the the older your telomeres are, the yeah. older you are as a person, sort of yeah. thing. I'm not sure whether you measured tel- telomeres. We should look that up. Um, however. It was the genetic the standard genetic test for risk yeah. of prostate cancer. Because it'd be fascinating to see if that was going on as well inside. I mean, my um, my yoga teacher is ninety five now, and two years ago I went to his class and he said, "Jeremy, come on, I want to show you something." You know, in his, the basement of the building where his studio was, there was a gym that just been built. He picked up a kind of a, a small barbell, started doing some dumbbell barbell curls. So I said, okay, I'm going to do some too. I picked up a weight which is much bigger than his. I'm mm-hmm. bigger than him. I'm much younger than him. I picked up a pretty big one. I started doing some bicep curls. He looked at me. He said, how much weight do you have? I told him. He said, he said give me a bigger one. <laughs> so I'm sure he feels aches and pains and so on, but he just, he doesn't let those get in the way of him doing something. And also his practices probably do reduce the pain and reduce the inflammation and so on. Um so yes, these things can be studied, but I think that for the serious deeper change at a genetic level, for that to work on a population scale, we have to do more intense things. It's not a matter of doing a kind of three-second intervention. For most people, for some it may. It may. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, is it, wait, um, I, I know a story about um, a close friend of mine um, whose husband, they were really athletic. They were really fit. They were constantly at healthy. They were really a good physical specimen of yeah. of what it takes to be human. Yeah. Constantly looking. And all of a sudden, they get cancer and they ended up dying through mm. it. But then I know someone else who's really close to and they like smoke very constantly, daily. They're massively overweight physically and they're constantly complaining. They're drinking heavily. <laughs> and you think, how is this? And, and that person's still alive and it's singing. Where is the like the boundary between what you should do and what you shouldn't do, and why is some people like connected? Like, like why didn't he receive all the benefits physically in the mind, like through the act of placebo thinking? You know, I'm training, feeling great, exercising. I should be living a long life, and then all of a sudden he gets cancer. Whereas the other person should be thinking, "Wow, I should be terrible. I should, I should be the one getting cancer." But why is it like that? You can do the wrong things, but yet still end up 
fine and you do the right things and you could also end up fined. Is there never an aspect to that? That's a really great question that touches on a lot of important things that people should understand who listen to this podcast. I mean, on average, the placebo and so on um, it has, has an effect. So even for the person who's, let's say, um, they who got cancer, if they had a kind of positive attitude, they might have felt better in the end of their life. But you can't overcome certain kind of physiological, massive physiological forces um, in, in most cases. So, but this proves how amazing the body is, right? The guy who smokes, which is, there's no question it's bad for you. No, nobody would deny that in the right mind. Nobody would deny in the right mind that being obese is really bad. And no one would deny that being very stressed out is very is, is bad. So in spite of having those things, this person still seems to live a long life. That just shows how resilient this person's body is. Um, now the other person, it's, it's sad. And, if any, and one thing that people misunderstand is mind-body healing. They say, well, you know, you're saying it's my fault if I'm sick. You're saying, oh, I, I feel sick if I only change my mind. No, there's not that. First of all, it's, if anything, it's harder to change someone's mind than it is their body. I can make you do kind of push-ups. Well, you're already pretty fit, but if someone make push-ups for three, three weeks, you'll notice a visible change in three weeks. To change your thought pattern is usually much more difficult. The second thing is not someone's fault if they get sick. It could be due to numerous factors. I mean, whereas genetic factors aren't as important as people say they are, they're, they're, they still play a strong role, right? Like Angelina's case, uh, Angelina Jolie's case I mentioned, it wasn't 80%, it's more like 50%, but 50% is still a high risk genetic risk, um, and other things, environmental factors, physiological factors. It's know. so strange how someone could f- like do all the, the right things in life, and yet, yet the body would still crumble on them, really. It makes you wonder, like, how much of it are we doing to ourselves versus the external? And also as well, though, just, yeah, I was just going to mm. add it as well, is... I think there's le- also levels to known. I think obviously you don't really understand what was really going on in their in their heads because what True. I understand about That's the placebo the effect is that yeah. it's about a level of known. It's not just like you can't like even the placebo se- the, the sense you can't just even use an example of belief. Yeah. If you want to, you can't just like lie to yourself that you <laughs> to believe something. You've got to really embody the full the full workings of it. And obviously for them cases, you don't know what how was their mindset. What 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 how much how much sort of belief do they really have in the body that's that's what i'm thinking and then even if they did have that belief yeah. you still can in, in, in some cases i think even if they did have that belief or even if they were striving towards and doing all the right things to make sure they had it i mean we're we're not we're not god right yeah, there's so many things god. going on isn't there? um and my mother said there was a another example she 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 had an early demise and the book is dedicated to her because she influenced me in so many positive ways um, just by giving unconditional love, um, and she was healthy, slim, did you know exercise, yoga, ate healthy, um, and and you know other people, you know I I think she deserved to suffer, or go more than some people I know, and 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 there's I don't have it. I wish I could have an answer. Yeah, of course. I, I, I was just going to add as, add as well. Sorry, I think just, let's no, just for two seconds on. add this. I just think it's it, uh, it's crucial to see as well that that. Like you said, yes, the placebo effect can work for certain people, but there's so many on an on an individual level. Everyone's different. Everyone's biology is completely different. So yeah. one case can't is not going to exactly fit for your case. And as well, the world that we're living in now, 
we know how many different external factors are going on and influencing our health. Yeah. I mean, we're sitting here now, we've got microphones, we've got these bright lights on us and things like that. These are affecting yeah. our health yeah. on an energetic level that we don't understand. There's so many things in regards to health that we don't understand, really. Yeah, also, humans don't understand prob- probabilities. Yeah. It's like some guy says, well, you tell someone, smoking's bad for you, you should quit. They say, oh, no, my grandfather smoked till he was 95 and so on. Not everybody who smokes gets lung cancer. But a higher number of those who smoke uh, have lung cancer have smoked. Um, and then so many factors. And what we can say is that no matter where you are, I mean, no matter what level of underlying health you have, if you do the right things like eating a healthy diet, exercise, you know, having a positive mindset, these things will improve. But just like if um, for my body weight and my age, I'm not going to run a marathon under two hours and 30 minutes. But if I train properly, I'll go faster than I was the last time. Can I add one thing that I just, the placebo effect that I realized with my son, who's almost nine months old, and my wife. So sometimes he's learning to kind of stand up and he can't walk yet, but he's crawling along with a little bit of help and standing up and he falls down sometimes. And sometimes he falls down and cries. And you can tell it's because he's just surprised. You know, he's not, he doesn't hurt himself. Parents know the difference. Other times, though, he'll fall over and kind of roll over and knock his head softly. We have a pad there. Um, and he's hurt. He is in pain. Now, in, this, in the first case, if I pick him up, he'll stop crying. But if it's, the, if it's the second case where he's genuinely hurt, if I pick him up, he doesn't stop crying. If my wife holds him, he stops right away. Same thing at nighttime. If he's teething at nighttime, if he's not teething, he just wakes up because he got a fright for some reason, I can pick him up. He'll stop crying and put him back to sleep. If he's teething, so genuine pain, tooth pain, right? No matter what I do, it doesn't work. Now, some people might say, well, Jeremy, you're just a bad father. You can't, don't know how to hold your kid. <laughs> my wife said it too. Well, she said, well, your technique is wrong. So she inspected me twice and she found out, no, my technique is fine. I know how to hold him. I love him to bits. It's because the mother is a placebo. So for some reason, wow. he has genuine pain. It's not fake pain. I've looked it up. Kids do feel pain, according to the latest science. So for some reason, because she represents the deepest level of comfort and care and confidence to him and nurturing and everything, he has pain. They get painkillers from the mother's milk and so on. So she picks him up. I make a joke. I say, I'm crying. She says, oh, you have the wrong technique. I say, watch, Claire. I say, here's the baby. And I count backwards from 10, 10, 9, 8. I never got to 7. Within one or two seconds, he stops. His pain, there's at any rate no expression of the pain. So this is the kind of thing where, I'm not saying that we're all babies and we need to be held that way, but it wouldn't hurt. Um, but this is an idea where I want to write something about it. The, the mother, well, I'm sure if I was the one staying home with him and feeding him, he'd do it with me. And I, I'm quite involved, but I don't have not spent as much time with him as my wife. Yeah, it's a powerful point, that by the way, really yeah. powerful. Yeah. And I wanted to go back and t- touch on, well, that's a bit similar to this, anyway, we're speaking of there, but the, the environment point that I was talking about before, because I have an interesting question that I wanted to sort of get across to people. Because this is a powerful question that I had. It was, um, so when we're talking about the power of creating a, like creating a good environment for the placebo effect and yeah. the power of healing and things like that. So I'm going to read this because I, I don't want to get it wrong, but based on perceptions and beliefs, is it actually possible to program the gene ahead of, ahead of the actual environment as well? Program your genes. Ahead of the actual environment. So to, prov- to kind of resist against environmental damage. So without someone physically being in the environment itself, 
is it possible ahead of time? Because in our lives, daily lives, everyone yeah. wants to. People might be saying right now that I don't have this environment now to create yeah. to create the healing that I want. Yeah. But obviously, I know there's certain research out there that suggests that, like Chris was talking about before, through harnessing um, mantras and things like that, you can actually within your physical state where you are now, you can create an environment that actually can. You don't have to change your environment straight away. You can create that effect from that the predicted the predicted um, environment that you want to create. You can already create that where you are now. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, certainly at a general level. I'm not a geneticist. Mm-hmm. I'm an epidemiologist, so I can tell you about the. But at, at a general level, the way many genes are expressed depends on the environment, and your emotions contribute to the environment. So high levels of stress and so on can affect the environment including the environment of the, of the cell in, in a negative way and whereas relaxing and having someone giving you a positive message can affect it in, in a positive way. Um, the other thing I can say about that is uh, two things that people previously thought as fixed, okay? Well, you might be able to change your thoughts, but they thought, well, you can't change your brain and you can't change your genes. Both those things are false. The way genes are expressed at any rate can be changed and our brains can also change. So my grandmother had a stroke um, before they realized this. And I mean, she was a tough woman. She grew, grew up on a ranch with no running water, um, you know, raised six kids and um, tough woman. And she couldn't use the right side of her of her body. And she was a success because she learned to live with the left, just her left hand. She made, she crocheted a big rugs for all of her 20-odd grandchildren and so on. But now what they know is that they could have, someone as resilient as her, as tough as her, they could have trained her to use her right hand most likely. Now with stroke rehabilitation, they, the brain can reconnect itself such that parts of the brain that were dead, you don't need them. A new part of the brain can be developed so that you can, they can use the right hand. And they've done experiments with monkeys and so on to show, to show that. And, and, and that's part of standard stroke rehabilitation. She might not have gained back 100% of her right arm, but had she had the stroke 10 years later, they would have rehabilitated her because she was a stubborn, tough woman. There was a lot of that same, that same actual documented evidence in the book, um, The Brain That Changes Itself by Norman Deutsch. Yeah, Norman Deutsch, uh, yes, yes. That was, a, that was a really good book. That really categorizes the brains. Yes. Not just the brain. Um, it kind of does just emphasize the brain is the the motor neuron before the entirety of the body. I think what we were just talking about. Yeah. Very right at the beginning of the podcast. And it does make us think as well, like, are we, is it everything that we say, is this going to be everything that we say, like, repeat on ourselves on a daily basis, is this going to be the part where it truly affects us? You know, like, when you can talk yourself in a mirror just saying, I am happy, I am happy, I am happy, and you will gradually come to the terms that, yeah, I am happy, or, or do you need to do something different, and you have to access and gratitude or something? What is, is there a key component that we all need to be, to begin this change? Like on a practical level that someone practical. can do Great, now. great question. So there's two things. So the placebo effect in medicine is the effect of um, a placebo pill, but it's also, I construe it, the effect of a doctor taking time to be, offer more empathy to a patient, to understand where they are, and to give a positive message. You know, this pill is gonna, probably going to make you feel better. Don't lie, don't say it makes everyone feel better, but just give it, focus on the glass half full part. The question is, how can we placebo ourselves? Mm, that's it. That's what you're talking yeah, about. Can you give yourself a positive message? Can you be empathic towards yourself? The answer is yes. So there's a discipline called positive psychology. Now, these guys came along, they realized we've been studying, studying depression for, for 50 years, and even studying depression is a bit depressing. 
<laughs> what makes you sad and so on. So, so let's look at what makes people happy. So they've come up with what I call basically complex ways of giving your, or complex and good ways of giving yourself a positive message. So one of my favorite positive psychology exercises is called the best possible self exercise. They say to put aside 20 minutes and just scribble down on a piece of paper. Imagine your life in six months or a year or two years from now. As, so it's an amazing, it's best, the best possible life you can imagine. You can be realistic, but really dream big, you know. You know, I'm gonna be I'm gonna have my fitness goals, your work goals, write it down, you know, and then um just by doing this, then kind of take a bit of time and you might want to add something, and just by doing this, um, it can help you feel better. It can improve things like uh, anxiety, depression, and so on, and and pain because these are all interlinked. Then being empathic towards yourself as well, taking time out. Instead of go, 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 go. I mean, you know, you missed something, you didn't do something right. Instead of kind of beating yourself up, try to be understanding towards yourself mm. and take a constructive step forward. So you can do these things and there are different techniques. I mean, um, in order to have a thought which is unadulterated, it helps to meditate. The, the mind is, they call it the monkey mind, right, in Buddhism. And we all have that, whether we like it or not. If we have too many thoughts, most of them are negative stuff. So learning to calm down the mind and relax, I mean, it can be an important part of this, yes. Yeah. It's, it's funny because we were just listening to a podcast on the way down and it was with Wim Hof. And Wim Hof, someone said to Wim Hof, um, they were doing like ice cold submersion where they were jumping in the water and stuff. And they were obviously trying to talk about how can we still the mind and stuff like that. And he said, and the guy said to Wim Hof, where, where do I put my attention? And Wim Hof said, nowhere. He said, just let the practice itself do it. Do you think there could be, there could be benefit in actually someone doing a physical practice and not really, not really given, given the thing they're doing too much attention, just allow the practice themselves. Say like if someone jumped into cold water yeah. and just allow the practice themselves to create that state where they're not really focusing on the on negative things and not yeah. really focusing on positive things. Something within us maybe just guide us in the right direction anyway. Yeah, Vim is interesting because he his method, I think the way he he says the cold water cures disease is by having a massive stress response, which sends kind of, ma but, but, and then um, you're right. So just telling some people, if it's frustrating to me, I tell people, okay, learn to meditate. They say, no, I can't meditate. Um, it's why people love extreme sports. When you're jumping out of an airplane in a parachute, you're not thinking about anything. Yeah. No need to say what to focus on at that point. You're just scared shitless. Pardon my language, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Like, holy shit, what's happening? Or if someone's like on a, a free climbing on a on, on a mountainside, there's no time to wonder about, you yeah, know. Yeah, you can't think about anything uh, you know, else. Anything else. You're thinking about where's my finger going to go? So you're in the moment. And that's why it creates a flow state. It's been written about, or let's say extreme exercise. I mean, people like, I went for a run, the, the park run yesterday morning. About the halfway, it starts to hurt. You're trying to, all your focus goes into the present moment, the present moment awareness. So I think being, forcing yourself to submerge into cold water probably has the same effect. Yeah. You don't need to do that extreme stuff, though. That ex extreme stuff is good in that it forces you into a meditative state. But taken too far, you know, people work 60 hours a day and they go, oh, shit, my mind is, is occupied with too much work, so I'm going to go jump out of an airplane then climb a, climb a cliff and jump into cold water. That's kind of adding stress to stress. Mm. 
So there are, there are other ways to do this. Do you think, it's a question I've just thought of there, I mean, I don't know if you know the answer to this, yeah. but do you think there's any, any is there any sort of, st- is there any, what's the word I'm looking for? Is there any certain states that are more suggestible to the power of belief? So like you were saying about flow state and things like that, has there yeah. been any experiments done where somebody's, I don't know, he's done something where, because I know there's a lot of research um, on like a neurological level where they talk about how certain states can can like change certain levels of suggestibility in the mind and things like that. Is there yeah. a, any experiments where somebody's done something and they've actually then then they've brought put, put belief on top of that, then it's actually affected them on a more deeper level? Well, there's two things people do that I'm aware of. This is not I'm coming going out of my area of expertise here, so this is my, my opinion um, and what what I know from experience, what I've seen. In the military, the way they make you more suggestible is they just sleep deprive you. So your brain isn't working properly and they feed you ideas. This is the enemy, this flag is good and so on. This is the boss and do what he says. Um, So just making you in a kind of a kind of state where you're no longer yourself. The other way, of course, which is much easier is relaxation. When you're relaxed, people are more suggestible. So all hypnosis involves some kind of relaxation um, or at least relaxing... um, accessing the relaxed part of your mind yeah i was just trying to think if some just on like i was trying to put it across for a practical level to see if somebody was somebody was trying to um sort of ingrain some more belief inside the mind and they're trying to what would be like a sort of on a practical level what could they do to induce that on a better level that's why i was trying to put the two things they should do is one is take some time every day to relax to de-stress to deactivate the stress response and activate the relaxation response because the stress response too much stress that's chronic causes all kinds of diseases, including heart disease, number one killer, sexual dysfunction, depression, anxiety. The relaxation response is the opposite effect, is beneficial for most things and makes you feel better, you feel great. So taking some time out to relax, there's a hundred ways to do this. We can talk about how Herbert Benson discovered that in the 60s if you want with yeah, the Beatles. Go ahead, yeah. Um, but that's, so take some time to relax and then if they want to induce this, do a positive psychology exercise like the best possible self-exercise. Um, Yes, those two things would people can do them, and ideally you do this thing twice a day for twenty minutes at least. But you can induce it in just a minute. What was that second one you said? Sorry again. Just the to, positive psychology exercise. Yeah, how, how would somebody do that? Do that. The, my one of my favorites is the best possible self exercise. Just take some time to write down how you imagine your life in the future in a year or so, and write down an amazing scenario where your life has gone just as you wished it to go. Um, and then once you've written it down, begin taking steps towards achieving it. Does it manifest? Is that what we're trying? To, is that what the try, point we're trying to get to? Is like we're manifesting our own like development in the future, in the yeah. present. Manifestation is used in a lot of different ways by a lot of different people. Most of them, they want to say you can you can marry a top model and make ten million dollars and drive a Ferrari next year if you just kind of think about it. But you know that you know work for some people, but. You don't need to be that wacky. It's just obvious. If I want to go to Rome, I should turn towards Rome and begin walking there. Eventually, I'll arrive there. You you guys have this podcast. You started off, you said, with just your computer. But you focused on the podcast, spend time every week. If somebody wants to, the body is the easiest thing. If somebody wants to get fit, go to the gym five days a week. Hire a personal trainer or look up a personal training program. And you will get fitter. You might not become Arnold Schwarzenegger, you might not become an Olympic medalist, but you will become fitter than you are right now. The same thing applies for any goal in life you're working towards, including goals to make yourself think more positively. You've got to do the exercises. 
to achieve it. Do you have any, because obviously the power of thought is a really powerful thing, the placebo, and I just wanted to like reiterate on that a little bit. Do you have any sort of aff- positive affirmations that you could think of that somebody could sort of, or mantras that maybe someone could go over in the mind and to sort of, or, or just even a process of how they could actually think more positively in the day? Yeah, so the one that I use a lot is adversity is an opportunity. So whenever, whenever you come across something which might kind of um, lead to, tend to send you off track, just say, this is an opportunity. It's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. Um, the second one I would say is a, a story I learned from a guy when I was in India. He was saying, imagine you're walking on the street and some young child tries to pick your pocket. What would you do? You wouldn't really get angry or smack them, but you might kind of swat their hand away in a, in a swift motion, swat their hand away, and they'd run away. Do the same thing with any thoughts you don't like. Any thought you don't like, just swat it away in the same way. And then relax, adversity is an opportunity, smile, take time to laugh every day. Yeah, you should never finish the day without uh, laughing or sweating. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. What was that, uh, the, the study I think you were gonna mention before? Yeah, so Herbert Benson, in the 60s, the Beatles followed the Maharishi Yogi to India. Suddenly meditation became very popular. And some uh, meditators came to a guy at Harvard called Herbert Benson, they said, well, you know what? You're using drugs to lower heart uh, blood pressure in monkeys. We can do it with no drugs, just meditation. He said, no way, you guys have been smoking too much dope with the Beatles, get out of here. <laughs> so, but they were persistent. Eventually he said, okay, I'll do a study, provided this Maharishi Yogi guy signs up to it. So when I prove it, it doesn't work, he'll be exposed as a quack. The Maharishi Yogi by, on his side said, well, yes, I'd love to sign up. Finally, a Harvard researcher is going to prove my thing works. So they did this study, and these guys had these things hooked up to their brains and so on to measure brain waves. And in the first one, blood pressure did not go down because they were regular meditators. But Benson noticed right away that they induced what he called a semi-somnambulistic state. So he re- replicated it with some people who had higher blood pressure, and it did lower their blood pressure. Then he had a problem, well, if I tell my colleagues I'm doing this meditation, they'll think I'm also smoking too much dope with the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> so I need, a, I need a new name. I'm not gonna call it meditation, I'm gonna call it the relaxation response. And numerous things can do it, whether you like meditation, prayer for some people of certain types works if you repeat the same word over and over again, counting, just doing conscious relaxation, different forms of meditation, traditional yoga, qigong, and so on. All these things are differ, but they also share the phenomena of inducing the relaxation response, which is very beneficial for health, mental and physical. Yeah, do you, I love that. Do you, think, do you think in the future that the placebo effect and the sense of sense self-healing is gonna actually be more accepted by modern medicine? Well, I've created a program called the Oxford Empathy Program, and our, our mission is to introduce, introduce a dose of empathy in every healthcare consultation. And that's another way of saying we want placebo power to be used in every healthcare consultation. And if used properly, it would reduce the number of drugs and surgeries prescribed dramatically and make people improve patient satisfaction, quality of life. It wouldn't, ob- it wouldn't make medicine unnecessary. It would just keep medicine in its proper place. Mm. Just like you know, one, you know, one cup of coffee a day is probably good for you, but having 10 or 20 is bad or a, Half a glass of wine might be okay for you, but 20 is bad. 
We're doing the equivalent now of having 20 cups of coffee and 20 glasses of wine with, with modern medicine. We've got to have it in its place, used when necessary. Yeah, I think as well, I love that. And it, what, to me as well, that's going to create a situation where it makes people more less seduced to something outside of yourself. That's what I feel anyway. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. yeah. You know, these ways of meditating or traditional yoga um, are ways of experiencing. So you, what you do is you, you end up, either you focus on yourself or you end up experiencing this kind of, these um, waves of um, positive emotions or the inner pharmacy being activated. And you could actually, you can experience it. You'd feel happy, you know, feelings wash over you when you do these things. Something I want to ask Jeremy um, is how intense of an emotion do you have to have for a, any impact to really be made? Like, because I can look in the mirror and go, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy. But how much of it is emotion? Yes. Is emotion that will make, that can influence the change? How much does it play a part? Yes, that's the problem with kind of these positive mantras people give you, especially in these, some very popular self-help books. It's the tip of the iceberg. And if underneath it all is negative stuff, it's not going to make much of a difference. It's also why if someone you trust tells you, it's more powerful than if you do it yourself. Um, so with positive messages in these studies, the best ones um, you know, involve creating a relationship between the doctor and patient, where the doctor is, establishes themselves as empathic and authoritative and knowledgeable and caring. So the same thing, I suppose, applies to yourself. For you to give yourself a positive message, you must establish yourself as a caring, empathic authority to yourself. And if you're not telling yourself in an authoritative, caring, empathic way, it's probably not going to have the same effect. I'm not sure they've studied that. Um, certainly, with it, but you, it's, a lot of it's common sense. I mean, if your goal is to, let's say, what's, what distance do you run if you go for a run? You distance, what, you know, do you do a sport? You know, you say, well, I want to run a marathon under three and a half hours. And you just say, well, I want to mar- run a marathon under three and a half hours, but you don't really mean it, and you don't go out and train. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. But if you say it with emotion, you believe yourself, and you mean it when you say it, then you're going to go out and train, and you're more likely to achieve the goal. Okay. Some of it's common. A lot of this stuff is common sense. The problem is that common sense is no longer common. People have a little pain, little depression. They jump for the pill. I had knee pain. They offered surgery. I did physiotherapy instead. Ran a full marathon afterwards. It's just. You know, these things shouldn't be offered. It should be common sense not to over-medicate ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminds me of a funny story to interrupt that, Dan. Okay. It, it reminds me of a funny story um, about the, there was this guy who had no like confidence in himself whatsoever, but his friends were saying, oh, you, you can be all right, you'll be fine. Don't worry, you're going to be good. And everyone was trying to drill in him some confidence. So he went to see um, a, a witch doctor, and this witch doctor ended up saying... Um, in a past life, you were Napoleon. You were this yeah. courageous general. You were Napoleon. And she kept repeating it. Like, I am actually talking to Napoleon right now. <laughs> I, you are the living embodiment right now of Napoleon. You were Napoleon in a past life. And his eyes, like, lit up. And he wholeheartedly ended up believing he was Napoleon. And his whole out aspect of life changed. He right. completely... He completely. He tried to take over France. No, I'm joking. <laughs> he went to Moscow. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. But he embodied like this, this like strong general in, in him, and he completely fabricated 
changed his whole life and even eventually he went back to the, the woman and said thank you for that realization she went oh no no actually it's a complete lie i just made the whole thing up but and he was still like in awe of it all yeah because he, he, believed he experienced it he saw well hey if i act confidently well the same thing happened happened to right here this is it we're here in, in oxford and roger bannister was the first guy to break the four minute mile and at the time they thought it was humanly impossible they thought well they're going to implode or something. Humans just can't run under four minutes. Hearts will explode, didn't they? Yeah, heart will explode, yeah. So his, his coach didn't tell him what he's trying to make him do. His coach didn't say, we're going to make you run under, under four minutes. He just said, run as fast as you can. So he did it. And after Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile, numerous people did it within the next six months because yeah. it was a barrier in their mind. Now, same thing happened to me. In high school, I was terrible at sports. I was the kid that no one wanted to choose. You know, but everybody probably don't do it nowadays because it makes you, makes you feel pretty bad. They line you up, have two captains and choose. I was always I'm still waiting to get picked me. <laughs> <laughs> so I never got picked or the last one picked, you know. Um, but then I, I was pretty strong though. Running straighter for 800 meters, I was okay. But then I went to university saying, I want to be good in a sport. I, I knew I was, I got into a good university. I thought I was smart, but I, I felt like a loser in sports. So... The rowing coach, he had never seen me do anything. He said, I want you to try it for the rowing team. I said, why? I said, I'm not even that tall for a rower. He said, no, just come on. I did pretty well in the first erg test. And he he, he told all of us, we're going to go to the, the, the Olympic Games. Now, he had no reason to say that. I mean, I'm not sure if he was lying. He's a really positive guy. We're still friends. But we, we believed him because he's the authority figure. So he made us believe and train like we're going to do that. And so... It took us a few years, but I mean, we ended up winning the championships in the U.S., beating all the great teams, and you know, three of us went on to represent our countries. Oh. I worked for the World Championships. Now, I was a, a loser in sports in high school, so he gave this kind of—he wasn't lying, um, but but he had no—he had no basis in reality. Actually, I mean, I, I'm for an international rower, I'm too small officially, certainly that time. Um, so these kind of things can change people. We don't realize it. Uh, something happened to me in high school. I was getting bad grades. Walked into one teacher's class. He just looked at me and said, I can see you're a smart boy. I want you to sit in the front of the class and study in my class. I was like, whoa. He said, I'm smart. I better study hard. I got the best grades in his class that led to kind of an academic career. Mm. Uh, these things had not So many people have these kinds of stories. They go both ways. Mm, because yeah. why was I considered a loser? I went to try for the basketball team. And I, I missed a shot and the the coach said, oh, you're too goofy to play basketball. Get out of here. And I made me it kind of, I mean, these things happen in life. We can't go through life without people saying things that are not nice. We've got to learn resilience to deal with them. So I'm not saying we should all, you know, you know, all be happy, clappy all the time. We have to learn to deal with these things. And we inadvertently sometimes say things to yeah. harm other people. But it can be these messages people give can be very powerful for our lives and our health. Yeah. So see if on a practical level, see if someone to to create, see if we were um, create trying to create a dream team for like uh, a state of mind sort of. See for someone else yeah. listening to this podcast now. On a practical level, what would what would be some key things? What somebody listen to this now? If somebody says, "I want to, I want to have this mindset," what you're talking about? How could someone create this sort of the dream team in the mind sort of thing? Dream team in the mind, like anything else, it takes time and effort. So you've got to take time every morning. And every evening to relax in your own way whether it's med meditation or something else you've got to um, work on your self-talk 
and you've got to be empathic towards yourself. Now, how to do it if you're listening to the podcast and you're driving your car? Well, relax, breathe more slowly. So take six seconds to breathe in. It seems like ages and six seconds to breathe out. And you can do that all the time, 24-7, whenever you're awake. Instead of beating yourself up for something, give yourself an empathic bat, pat in the back and deal with things in a constructive way. And then um, realize that however things are right now doesn't determine how they will be in the future. Accept how they are and think of a positive outcome for the future and work towards it. Cool. Leave it there, powerhouse. Yeah, powerhouse. Thank you Thank so much you, for your time. Thanks, guys. That was really great. Cool. Really cool Powerful. conversation. Thank you. Boom. What a podcast conversation that was. Thank you so much for staying with this one and listening to the podcast all the way at the end. I'm sure you got some great value out of that as much as me and Chris did sitting down with Jeremy. Really was a powerful conversation about the placebo effect and self-healing and just basically showing us our limitless potential and how powerful our bodies and minds really are. So thank you so much for tuning into this one. Coming up on the podcast, we have some amazing conversations coming up really been traveling all over the place getting some very interesting guests like i said in the intro i have david Icke coming on graham hancock in the future and many others as well so look out for all them episodes that are coming up in the future if you want to support the podcast you can do that for our patreon page it really is the best way to support the podcast and help us to keep doing what we're doing we also have a one-off donation option as well if you want to help us out through that channel. So anyway, we love you all and tune in as always next week where we have another powerful podcast. Peace and love.